Um, today we'll be focusing specifically on the matter of the public intellectual in the digital age, or more simply, the age of the internet. And we have a special guest with us today um, who has direct experience being a public intellectual uh, in a digital uh, environment. Uh, his name is Urim and he's from uh, Time Ghost. So I'll hand over to Urim now to provide a proper introduction. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Um, so I'm Joram, Joram Appel, and I live in the Netherlands, and I work for Time Ghost. And for those of you who don't, who don't know what Time Ghost is, uh, Time Ghost makes historical documentary series, and our biggest project is the YouTube channel World War II, in which we follow World War II week by week. Um, yeah, so, so what we do is uh, we make historical videos. Um, on the World War II channel, we have a special episode providing more context to the war, and we have another channel called Time Ghost History, uh, where we do additional documentary series like on the Indonesian War of Independence or the Suez Crisis and uh, the one on the Troubles that's coming up. Great. Well, thank you very much for the uh, introduction. And I would say now, I'll say again at the end, for, for those of you who haven't checked out um, Time Ghost and all their uh, content, do so, uh, because in my opinion, it's awesome. So let's, uh, let's get to some, some questions then, Yuram. So I have a few questions for you that will help us sort of um, flesh out the, the finer details of um, the public intellectual uh, and how that relates to, um, as, as we said before, the, the digital age. So I think a good way to get going, a good first question, is about Time Ghost itself. So would you mind telling us just a little bit about um, how, how it got started and... Um, what it does basically in yeah. addition to what you've already said yeah sure um for that we have to go back to 2014 when Indy Nidell, who's the, the main host of uh, our series water two um together with spartacus olsen who is also a host for the series um started the youtube channel the great war in which they followed world war one week by week uh exactly 100 years later 100 years after it happened and um that's really the, the start of this idea of real-time history where you follow a certain historical event uh, in the same pace that it happened before. Now, um, after the, they finished doing that, uh, obviously they wanted to continue because it turned out to be a very successful format and that it really resonated with the large public, uh, even though they expected that what we won back then being quite niche and uh, well, still being quite niche in, in some areas. Um, it, it got like a huge following. And I think at the moment it's, uh, it, it has uh, over 1.1 million um, um, subscribers. I was gonna say followers, <laughs> subscribers on YouTube. And um, yeah, so, so when, when, it, when it was finished, uh, back then it was being produced by a company called Mediacraft, a German um, digital production company. Uh, Spartacus and Indy wanted to start something for this, for themselves, which they actually owned and got full creative control over. So they started Time Ghost with the idea of doing, well, first a series called Between Two Wars, in which they provided the context of the interwar years, uh, but then to do World War II week by week, just like they did the first World War. Um, that's also when I came in. I started as an intern at the Great War, which was then being produced by this Mediacraft team in Berlin. And 
um, when I finished doing my master's in cultural history here, here in Utrecht, I started working on the Time Guys projects in September 2018, which was the same month that they started doing World War II in September 1939. And uh, from there, Time Guys grew into well, quite a big organization, I'd say. Um, two years later, we have, I think, if you include all volunteers and interns and freelancers and people who work on staff, uh, close to 40 people. And um, we're making five videos a week together, uh, spread across three channels, which the, the Time Goes History and the World War II channel are the most important ones. Um, yeah, that's, that's how Time Goes got started. Great, okay. Um, yeah, I think that's really useful for for students to know, you know, for the sake of um, sake of context and and background. Um, and just to clarify, this is predominantly, you know, YouTube based, right? So you're presenting content via YouTube. And YouTube, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyone can watch it at any time. Yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead. Um, all right, yeah. I mean, and that makes sense as well, because in terms of, you know, video-based platforms, YouTube is sort of the, the main one, isn't it, that people are going to use. Um, now, for a lot of, okay, so some students aren't surprisingly um, that, that familiar with the concept of the public intellectual, let alone how that would function on YouTube. So, I mean, I would just personally say that um, a public intellectual, uh, when I say personally, I'm saying this is my, my perspective, a public intellectual uh, is essentially anybody with some sort of um, academic um, finesse or acumen. They don't necessarily have to be an academic, but with, you know, um, an interest in, in, in research, um, active in research, even if that's primarily um, reviewing what's out there. Anybody who's engaged that kind of activity and seeks to um, present it to the wider public, a wider audience. So, basically any audience that's outside of the confines of a university mm. uh, and there could be a, a multiplicity of reasons for wanting to do that but more often than not it's this kind of activity public intellectual intellectualism is driven by a sense of um, public good a public service uh, certainly that's something that i believe in quite strongly and there's a there's also a, a democratic an uh, element to it, and even a, you could even call it civic virtue, if you like. Um, so before we talk about how um, Time Ghost fits in with that function, specifically vis-a-vis -vis, um, YouTube, I just wonder if you have anything else to add on that concept of the public intellectual, maybe something I've missed. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, well, we, and I, myself, I feel myself as a, as a public historian, so uh, a, a smaller, uh, I think subcategory of the public intellectual mm -hmm. and uh, which which I view is anyone who brings the methods and ethics from the academic world to the public sphere and uh, in that sphere uses the field of research um, from from the, the academic field um, in a product that is used in the public sphere uh, and through which you engage with a lot of non-academic people. And um, that is exactly what we're doing at Time Ghost as well. Um, 
almost all our writers have an academic background as well. Uh, either did their masters or um, one did their bachelor's in history and the other one did their master's in history. And um, in doing our research and doing our and writing our scripts, we do follow these ethics and, and methods um, to make sure that we are as close to the historical record as we can be, uh, which as most historians would argue can be problematic since there's a lot that we don't know. You can't say anything for a fact. And uh, especially if you approach it from a, a more uh, postmodern perspective, uh, I think the narrative won't hold up for that long. But obviously there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a line between academically responsible and just doing something. And I think what you say that the democratic idea behind the internet that anyone, not necessarily academics, but anyone with that particular interest can engage and become a public intellectual. Um, it also has their, has its um, challenges in that for, for a viewer, it's not always clear to see who you're engaging with or where they got that knowledge from or what ethics or what methods they're using. Um, so we think it's important to present ourselves as these historians who went into the public sphere, but still uphold these standards that, um, that you see in, in academia. Great, yeah, and I think in a way that does, that does um, answer the question of how time goes could be said to perform the functions of public intellectualism because you talked about there how there is um there's an academic background to those who, who work and write um on the show or the various contents within um time goes um and sharing that with a wider audience and within that ensuring that you are um following principles of i guess we could call the research integrity um and, and ethics yeah. uh, and this this touches a little bit on something we've talked about in the past um actually and, and you more or less mentioned it now that there is a there's there's a difference between um the kind of postmodern question over truth which is very it's actually quite nuanced it's philosophical um it's not just a frivolous rejection of truth be that in its logical form or its empirical form these things are still inherently valuable and they give us a methodical way of approaching the world and understanding it and categorizing it um, so you know re uh, relativism perspectivism always going to be issues to consider for the historian for any academic certainly for the public intellectual in terms of how they choose to pitch that material to a wider audience um, but that's not quite the same of just, you know, accusing someone of, let's say, Victor's um, history. You know, uh, that there's, there's a, distinction, a distinction to be made between truth with a capital T and truth with a, with a small t. Yeah, and I mean, we, we, we've got very clear for ourselves um, how we approach history and, and those aspects of, of truth. But it's not not always clear to to the audiences we um, we reach, and more often than not, people uh, take issue with what we say or how we say it because they view history through a more 
um, political lens or uh, a more uh, ideological lens or uh, a very personal lens in, in what they think is right or how it happened or how you should interpret ideology um, and sometimes that, that clashes and that's I think where YouTube is not great at being nuanced. I mean uh, our videos are between 10 and 20 minutes long and at some point you're going to have to choose for a certain narrative um, so, for example, um, when we talk about Nazism, we classify it as extreme right, uh, as I think is very acceptable in a certain academic sphere. But I think mostly influenced by American politics, many of our commenters view um, Nazism not as an extreme right ideology, but as an extreme left ideology, because they view ideology as uh, being about state control versus no state control. So they see communism and Nazism as being kind of the same thing. Now, I think that could be a very interesting academic debate um, in which we could definitely engage, but YouTube's just not the platform for that. And it's not, it's hard to get to make clear with what intent people commenting on your videos make those posts um so that's where youtube definitely doesn't shine and and uh that's that's a, a big challenge for us yeah yeah and i imagine that's a that's a big challenge for, for a lot of people um engaged in that sort of work anything that's vaguely um intellectual or opinionated or news orientated that sort of work on youtube i could certainly imagine that and have seen it um result in controversy or at least in just a, an unpleasant comment section. Um, now, from what I remember, you you at Time Ghost have um, some community work you do, and part of that is, um, well, really regulating um, the comment section. Um, and I and I believe for every video you um, you used to lay out all the rules, but but now you have a link to the to the rules, right? Of of I don't know what you call them, rules of engagement. Um, Please, I hand over to you to. Um, yeah, we have like uh, guidelines to for, for commenting. Uh, we used to have them um, written in the comments because uh, it's easy to, to to read them before you make a comment. But then we wanted to expand on them um, because that's where we want to. Um, okay, so the, the rules we have are. For example, we don't allow for any uh, partisan statements. Uh, we don't allow for racism, for revisionism, for um, a lot of things that are we think are necessary to to keep the comment section a civil and well, nice space. Um, and I think within these these guidelines, rules, whatever you want to call them, I think debate is very possible, and and we are very much ready to engage in that debate. Uh, but again, uh, a lot of people on the, on the internet, uh, maybe emboldened by the anonymity of the internet um, or the fact that it may or not may be clear where we come from, who's paying us, what our agenda is, um, makes a lot of people be, well, you can say quite un unfriendly. Um, and a lot of people accuse us 
of many different things, uh, including because of these rules censorship. So we wanted to expand on these rules and explain why we have these rules as well, in addition to having rules. Yeah, so, so we do moderate our comment section, uh, especially since we don't want it to be abused by people spreading revisionist histories, um, uh, especially since we're talking about a lot of sensitive topics, um, um, anti-Semitism. Um, uh, yeah, we, we cover a lot of atrocities and it doesn't really matter what you talk about. There's always people who are gonna who are gonna walk away with the truth and or try to to put the focus on other stuff uh, for whatever reason. And we just don't want to engage with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in a way, I, I guess that 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 leads us to the question um, of the audience and and uh, target audiences too. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's 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 anonymity involved uh, with the internet, and you're not always certain who who is coming across your video and what their intentions are. But certainly, I imagine at least you can um, pitch your material at a cer certain audience or target them, and from there um, seek to create a kind of um, relationship with your audience, um, which I guess would also tie in with your community work more broadly speaking. Yeah. Yeah, our community is um, almost literally the backbone of 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 the whole channel. Uh, maybe it's uh, a good moment to explain how we're being funded. Um, we have uh, a Patreon page. Patreon is a website where creators can can have their communities uh, subscribe on a monthly basis and support them with money and they, they, they will often get like a small monthly or um, one-time reward for doing so. Uh, for example, we give all of our supporters early access and then there's some added benefits. Uh, but uh, that paying community, which is roughly 1% of our subscribers, which I don't know, I haven't checked recently, but I think around 5,000 now, uh, 5,000 members of our community are paying us monthly to, to do what we do. And without that, without that, none of this would be possible. So community is really an important thing for us. And we really spend a lot of time engaging with that community. So uh, we call, what we call is community management uh, goes beyond making contacts with your community and showing that you're there in the comments, which a lot of commercial companies do, you know, you see in uh, comment sections on Facebook and YouTube. Because we have this um, historical topic, we attract a lot of people who are interested in history and who want to debate it and who want to discuss it. So we actually spend a lot of time actually debating history and explaining ourselves and uh, adding to the stuff that we tell in the video, but also our community members do that from, for, for themselves. They come with additional sources and additional anecdotes or different perspectives, or they ask very interesting questions that we haven't come up with ourselves. So it is uh, very much a community-driven project, both financially and uh, in its substance. And I think that's what makes this a very like public project as well. If you're talking about the public intellectual or public historian, I think you have to engage with a, a public um, in big or small ways, but we do it in a big way because every video has, I think, at least 1,000 comments under it, um, which means that it's more than just what you make. It's also 
what happens after you make it and after you you publish it and that's a, a huge part of of being this this public figure this public historian um yeah i think i think that's also the joy of of, of making this if we will be doing this on television then it will be aired and maybe read a review in a, in a paper or something but you, you don't know how it's perceived or what people think about it or all the stuff that you maybe missed um and uh and and that would be interesting as well as well um and not only for us but also for all of the other viewers because everyone can read all of the comments so also the comments that other people are making and the stuff that they're adding so this one video becomes this big collection of of knowledge and questions and, and criticisms uh, and i think that's great about this this public um debate in this public space and also why it's so important to moderate it because well as as you know as a as a viewer of the channel um, if a comment section under certain videos with sensitive topics go unmoderated they can go get really nasty and it's not fun to be on them and, and I, I wouldn't want to stay there for long if 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 it was not a, a constructive um, place yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think having having some kind of uh, management there is is completely acceptable because, as you say, it is a it is a public space of of sorts, no different to, um, I say, the market square or or even just going to see a public lecture. There's going to be rules of of engagement, if you like. Yeah. Um, you raise your hand to ask a question. You, you people take turn. They listen to each other. They show a, a decent amount of respect and. Um, I think that's more than fair enough and, 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 what, and what we should expect. You know, there's nothing wrong with having people contest ideas and, um, and debating each other. And for the most part, I think everyone involved in this kind of work would, would encourage it. Um, but there's a, way, there's a way of doing that that's, um, that yeah, it's respectful and yeah. actually focuses more on the pure interest in the topic at hand rather than scoring points. And I think that's the distinction. It has to be said though that not everyone agrees with this and we get accused of gatekeeping um, sometimes um, and people saying we only allow for certain narratives or that we're pushing our own agenda and um, that we're being paid by certain ethnic groups to do this um, and uh, yeah especially if that, that most of the time those people don't come there to really engage with the history or with, with what you're making. They're just there to push their own agenda. Yeah. And we decided very early on, we, we don't want to uh, give a platform to those people and nothing obliges us to, to engage with those people. And um, if they bring ridiculous like Holocaust or Holodomor den denial, um, arguments then yeah never mind um, okay. which I, I, I guess uh, is more or less the same in other perf uh, public places yeah yeah absolutely there has to be there has to be some some standards absolutely um, I just just to pick up on some other things um, you said there about your engagement with the community and you said you know compared to putting a documentary in television you actually have that that immediacy from people. You immediately have them. Um, you see their response. 
yeah. and they can speak with each other too. And through that, you, you, you develop a collective um, knowledge and even, I guess, a culture. So there's a whole thing around in these ties, for example, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is a bit more humor on the humorous side, but it's still an important part of, of building a community. And to me, that kind of stuff really outlines the, the benefits for of sorry um digital media particularly the internet and youtube the public intellectual is that you have that you have that immediate engagement and contact with your audience or you can build a community from it um, and i suppose that another benefit is that just about anybody can do it you know um it it of course takes a lot of work to do it let's say properly successfully However, we may want to define those terms. It's not something that you can just do lightly, but anybody can do it. Anybody with access to the internet and, and any sort of recording equipment, even if it's on your phone, you can put content out there and engage with other people. And that, that really brings about a certain um, leveling to the playing field, which you don't quite get with, with television. Um, we'd like to think that television is very meritocratic and only you know the best shows that are pitched get selected but those with some experience of television and cinema know that that's not the case always <laughs> uh, there's a politics small p politics involved there as well and all kinds of weird financial interests so um of course there are of youtube too um but it's it operates um differently do you think that's a fair perspective of mine yeah i think so like anyone can set up uh, their own channel and and make whatever um but well it has to be said that there's like loads of competition and obviously it's it's hard to um to reach a lot of people and to build a big following and we really benefited from indies earlier channel of the great war uh, because that, that community already existed and we were able to start with a, a part of that community from day one uh, whereas the, their journey with the great war to build that community was a lot longer and a lot harder uh, in which they had to maneuver in the field of finances as well with that bigger production company and um, you know in the end um, you have to pay your, your, your employees as well and, and, and if you're owned by a company uh, or you have investors, they want to see results as well. And that can be quite tough on YouTube to to, to break through that wall, so to say. But in, in theory, yeah, everyone with an internet connection can do this. Um, and then obviously what, what you already um, touched on, upon, um, just that you can do it doesn't mean you can do it. Like it requires more than an internet connection to be able to make a historical documentary series. Um, whether it be the technical side, you know how to have to know how to edit stuff, uh, how to find archival footage, uh, or a financial factor, you may be not may not be able to afford a, a license for for the editing software, or licenses for the, the footage you want to use, and then of course there's the the main skills uh, of researching and writing and making something appealing to a lot of people so yeah still i think there's there's a lot of hurdles to take if you you want to um do this properly mm. and 
Yeah, but yeah, of course. Um, anyone could, in theory, do this. Uh, another thing, though, is yeah, anyone can set up a YouTube account, but um, the most restrictive thing of YouTube, I would say, is YouTube, because YouTube itself is also a company with its own um, goals and its own guidelines and its own policy. And they don't always match with yours. For example, in, I think it was 2016, something happened called the Adpocalypse. Um, there was this um, public scandal of a few YouTubers um, being accused of making anti-Semitic statements um, and what followed was an outrage with their advertisers advertising through YouTube saying, we don't want this YouTube, why do you allow for this? And then YouTube showed its true nature of being a company which wants to make money. So they imposed these rules um, of content that can be monetized and cannot be monetized. So uh, from then on, a whole lot of topics were uh, we're now go topics. If you use certain keywords or certain images, you get demonetized instantly, uh, which includes um, shocking. Uh, that includes um, all war-related topics, let alone uh, like Nazi ideology or or communism um, and and violence and and, and showing violence. Um, and then, well, it get it get demonetized instantly. Uh, then it gets sent to a human reviewer and, well, no one really knows who they are or what they do. Um, they are expected to all follow the same guidelines, but they're based all across the world and they're human beings. So you just, you have to just accept what they will charge, um, which can be anything. We, it's, there's no, we can't, we don't know if we're going to be, demonetized or not, no matter the, the topic we're, we're, we're discussing, uh, because their system is so ambiguous. It's, there's no real direction there. Um, but I guess what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's hard to make money just by YouTube and their ad revenue can be very, very low if you get demonetized, which is almost certainly the case if you make content about the war and especially 20th century, oh, I mean history and especially 20th century history and what we're to, um, because those are not nice topics. And to be fair, um, YouTube also does this because those topics can be used by people who go against YouTube's policy and, and do talk about ideology in a way that should not be acceptable uh, in a public sphere. Uh, but it's just too big and there's so many users, so it's so hard for YouTube to really see who is legit and who is not. And then that's, I guess, where the democratization of YouTube fails because um, if YouTube um, says, yeah, these big players, they can do this, um, then it's not democratic anymore. If they say all of them are the same, then people like us uh, who can show to YouTube uh, that we're historians and what our methods are and how we're working, 
um, get demonetized as well. So that's that's a, that's a minefield. And the worst thing is it can change tomorrow. They can decide that we don't want more stuff on YouTube at all, and they delete us. So you don't know. It can happen, and it, ha it has happened before. In in the Netherlands, there were archives which were removed for showing uh, World War II footage without context, which is what archives do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you have to play by YouTube's rules and those are not always pretty. Wow, this, this is a really um, important point to cover, isn't it? Because it does demonstrate that despite the numerous benefits of um, the digital age, let's say, uh, there are limitations too. And it's important to be aware of those limitations, especially if you plan to make some kind of living from doing this, from doing this work, in which case having videos that are, are monetized um, is important. But I, but I gather as well that um, being, Having your content monetized is not simply a case of, of um, cashing in on the ad revenue. It's also a case of ensuring that the, the videos um, are being recommended by YouTube and therefore allows you to, it allows you to expand your, your audience, your community base, which is very important if you're using something like Patreon where people are pledging to give you money every month. Clearly, the more people you have come across your videos, the higher um, number of people who are going to be signing on to Patreon. Is, it, is, that, is that true? Um, well, YouTube will tell you that uh, there's no direct relation between uh, videos being monetized and videos being recommended um, because that would make it seem as if they only recommend videos that would make them money as well. Uh, but in practice, we see that most of the videos which are demonetized are not nearly doing as well as the videos which are being monetized. Um, you can call that a coincidence. Um, I'm not going to say YouTube's lying, but it is weird. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's crucial to reach new audiences as well. And if being demonetized because of what you do uh, makes it harder to reach new people, it also makes it harder to to find other ways to monetize your work through Patreon, um, which is why some creators have um, left YouTube altogether to build their own websites, which work on a subscription basis, or like the creators of The Great War um, are doing now. Uh, so the creators of The Great War kept on continuing The Great War into 1919 after the um, end of World War One, without Indy, with a new host. Um, but they started making other documentary series as well, other topics. But they decided to just kickstart those campaigns with, uh, with, with big um, online fundraisers and put them behind a paywall. So you have to pay 45 euros, I think, to watch those 18 episodes of, uh, of the series they did on the Battle of Berlin. Uh, obviously, I don't know uh, how that's working out for them because um, I'm not working for that. But um, yeah, you see some creators leaving YouTube because of this, because of the, well, the apparent randomness and uh, yeah, of that algorithm. 
um, on which you rely so much to grow and to make a living as well. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate, and increasingly it seems to be a problem across um, social media platforms. There's a question over over content and what's allowed, what's not allowed, what the rules are um, for that, and there are um, sponsorships to consider and, and and corporate advertising. It's it's a it's a bit of a mess of things, and I, I have the feeling that we're still in the um, archaic age of the internet, and a lot of things have yet to really been to be thought out sort of the same with the print media when that when that was first really established um for the public it, it was it was a huge game changer and there were a lot of um anxieties raised about how print media would have a huge effect on on the way that people think and vote and and consume and so on and so forth and um well, there's still concerns over that but over the years it's become we've become used to it there's some regulations in place. They vary between countries, but um, the internet has needs to it needs its time. But having said all that, and I think this is a good good um, way to round things up. I just ask you: um, have has it been a good experience? And would you encourage other people who are interested in public intellectual work to actually do it? Um. Yeah, it has been a great experience, uh, especially as a, as a young historian. Uh, it's great to be able to get your work out there uh, in front of a, a, quite a big audience um, without all the, the, the hurdles you have to take before going on TV or publishing a book or whatever. Um, so in, in that aspect, the, the low bar of participating in this field is, is great. And um, the opportunity to really engage with your audience and to reach new audiences that are not uh, necessarily reached by um, by academic papers or research or go to museums even uh, or read books um, are being reached with other kinds of media, and I think we we add onto the the big um, collective bulk of knowledge that is already out there of what we're doing. And in the end, what we do is a lot of um, secondary source research and put it into scripts. But for many, it's the first time they are in encountering certain topics. So I think we really have a function there uh, to connect the, the, the hard work and findings of, of academics um, with a broad public they wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Um, would I recommend other people to do it? Well, it's 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 um, it's a different world, um, and it's it can be challenging to navigate. Whether it be uh, whether it be the engagement with with a large group of people, it's different uh, from engaging with other academics of or even um, uh, debates or, or or whatever. It's it's its own thing, um, which I think is rewarding, but you have to know what you're getting into. And uh, as I said, to navigate the, the world of the, the YouTube in, in this case, uh, but uh, the internet um, as a whole, I think. Um, but I would love it if more academics, um, especially those who are themselves doing uh, research into the topics that we're covering, would 
go out on the internet more and, and show themselves. I mean, if I was uh, an expert on one of the topics we're writing about, and I was doing primary research on that and so writing about that, I would definitely have a YouTube or try to have a YouTube channel on the side to make my findings more accessible and to get it out there and um, to not have it just sit in a, in a journal somewhere uh, with all due respect. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to, to gain from it, not just for the academics themselves because their work is being seen more, but also for people who are not now, uh, now not engaging with it. Um, and even with an academic background myself, I find it hard sometimes to keep up with new findings or, uh, or, or to, to, to know what's going on. And yeah, academics who go out there more uh, could maybe be a solution to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 feel the, I feel the same way. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning about um, providing a public good um, so yes for the academic is great because their, their work's getting out there then demonstrating public engagement which is increasingly important for for funders but they also helping to facilitate facilitate ideally a a healthy discussion and debate around various issues which lord knows is um, more important arguably than ever right now with the with the sheer volume of dis and misinformation that is out there and the ease by which it is spread um, we look to people with some um, expertise or, or knowledge and know-how to share that with us and i use the word facilitate very deliberately because it's not about um dicta dictators you know academic dictators are coming on from on high and telling people exactly what they should be thinking um, it's more providing the framework and the understanding by which we can have nuanced thinking and engage in a meaningful dialogue, meaningful in that it, it results in something productive, um, productive in the, the most abstract sense. Uh, so yeah, I, like you, I would like to see more academics um, engaged with this. And ultimately, I would say that should be the take home message for, for the students doing this video, you know, think about ways that you can get um, your work out there and share it with a wider audience, which is both good for you, but also, you know, as we said just a moment ago, good for the uh, good for the public, and that's a global public as well. That's that's another um, beauty, if you like, of something like YouTube. It it helps develop this kind of global community that goes beyond um, goes beyond barriers and boundaries that have often frustrated the sharing of um, information and, and knowledge. So with, uh, I'll get off my soapbox now and <laughs> I think we've more or less come to the end, but I'll just give you the opportunity, Gurum, if you want to add anything else, uh, be it um, words of wisdom, encouragement or, or, or caution. Yeah, no, well, I, 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 as, a, as a last note, I'd like to add on, on what I just said uh, in that I, I really believe that there's very much still a place for the academic intellectual in the digital sphere, in the public sphere. Um, and I would say that goes farther than a place, but I think a necessity because um, your expertise is needed, as Christian just said, um, out there. So, yeah.
uh, it'd be great if more people get to engage with that. Yeah, very, very nice words to end on. So um, from, uh, from myself and, and, and Cambridge as a whole, um, great thanks to you for uh, taking the time um, to talk with us and, and answer questions. And other than that, it's just uh, it's goodbye for me. Yeah. And uh, goodbye from Europe, I suppose. Yeah, as Indy would say, see you next time. <laughs> see you next time. <laughs>